The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and do not represent IICLE. Thank you for listening to InRay, the podcast about all things law, big and small. I'm your host, Chris Noel. Welcome to part two of this two-part series. In episode one, you heard all about immigration in America, past, present, and future. In this episode, we're going to talk about what happens when ICE comes to your place of business and what lawyers need to know about ICE, their parameters, and where the law meets them. Michael R. Budin, I'm senior legal counsel at Old World Industries in Northbrook, Illinois. Excellent. So, Michael, it seems like immigration is on the front page of every website, of every newspaper that I've looked at over the past couple of years. So I was hoping, you know, this series is all about immigration. And I was hoping you could kind of shed some light on what has happened between Obama administration and the Trump administration. How has how has the immigration conversation changed? The biggest change between the Trump administration and the Obama administration has been in the level of interior enforcement activity. Since the Trump administration has given new priorities to ICE, which is the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, worksite actions have increased four times both in terms of I-9 audits and workplace raids. And particularly, the increase in activity has been heavy in the Midwest with uh, all the types of industries in which immigration labor is drawn to, both agricultural, uh, the agricultural industry, manufacturing, uh, service industry, and even federal contractors. Hmm. Okay. So when... It comes to the I-9 form, which was kind of set forth by the Immigration Reform and Control Act. How encompassing is that? Uh, the I-9, so the I-9 forms were created in 1986, and there are more than 80 common errors that can be made on the form. And it has been dubbed by many as America's most complicated forms. So there just are a number of potential traps for the unwary employer. And internal studies by ICE have shown that a typical organization completing I-9s using pen and paper will have errors on on 55% or more of their I-9 forms. So what are some of the difficulties, um, because you said there are some pitfalls within an I-9 form, what are some big ones? Well, the first thing to know is that the I-9 form mentions perjury four times. So that is uh, that's something that just kind of strikes at the the heart of uh, of anyone who you know thinks that this is just a an ordinary form that uh, which there are no consequences if you make a mistake. Now, many of the mistakes are uh, paperwork uh, paperwork type. Uh, the documents are either have the don't have uh, the signatures uh, 
which are required in several places. They're not dated. There's inadequate documentation uh, to support the, uh, the form. And uh, there are a variety of different ways in which the ICE will uh, respond to to mistakes in I-9 forms. There can be uh, criminal prosecutions, which can be felony and misdemeanor. Uh, they can result in imprisonment, fines, or forfeitures. There can be administrative actions, or sanctions, rather. Uh, if there are hiring violations, and, you, and, and ICE believes that there are knowing hires of immigration, uh, illegal immigrants, the hiring violations can run from $559 to $22,363 wow. per person. And then paperwork violations can run from $224 per I-9 form to $2,236. If you are a federal contractor, you could also be subject to debarment, which means you could be prohibited from bidding or fulfilling contracts for one to three years. And that's based upon an executive order that was issued on February 13, 1996. So the errors can be range from kind of a slap on the wrist um, based upon uh, um, paperwork issues, or if you knowingly hire illegal immigrants or you should have known they were illegal immigrants, mm -hmm. then looking at uh, potential criminal prosecutions whether they be felonies or or misdemeanors. Okay. So, you spoke about ice about ice and the auditing process a little bit. Um, I was hoping. <laughs> I think ice, especially nowadays, it's the acronym. It's it's kind of this all encompassing, almost uh, somewhat frightening um, depiction in media. What what is ice? Well, ICE is, again, the, the acronym for um, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and that is part of the uh, Department of Health and, and Human Services. So the full name is the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement, but you'll also see, often see in the media at raids, you'll see individuals who are wearing bulletproof vests that say ICE and say police on it, mm -hmm. and that's the thing that, that really is seared into, into people's, people's minds. There are many more I-9 audits, and those are those usually start out with just a paperwork audit, so you're merely corresponding with individuals. And while I mentioned that there are felonies and, and misdemeanors, those audits usually don't result in a criminal investigation, but usually end with a warning or issue with a, of a fine. It's the raids, which are a culmination of a criminal investigation of either a company, the company's owners or managers, or its undocumented workers. Those are the, the, the flashy things that are seared in people's minds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what is their reach? I mean, how... I know we have that image of them, but really, I mean, it seems like... In a way, they are perceived by some as like the boogeyman, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, I, what is what is their reach? What are some of their limitations? So, the way that a, a, a workplace raid usually works 
is that first there will be a government investigation. The investigation will lead to obtaining a, a either a search warrant or what's called an administrative warrant. Um, and and I can, I'll talk about the two different kinds of warrants in a minute. Uh, the ICE agents will choose a day uh, to conduct the raid, and as a result, employees may be interviewed and arrested. Uh, company owners or executives could be arrested, and after the raid, the investigation might continue, and charges could be brought. So there are a number, and there are a number of different tools that ICE agents will utilize in conducting a raid. And one of the things that businesses and ordinary citizens are unfamiliar with is, are the two different kinds of warrants that ICE agents use. And, and this is very important um, from a business perspective to understand the, the two different kinds of warrants because a, an ICE agent will sometimes use um, what's called a criminal search warrant, which are the kinds of warrants that we'll see on television on a, on a frequent basis where uh, an officer has to go uh, before a judge and has to present evidence that uh, would establish that there's probable cause that a crime has uh, been committed or, or is being committed. And that search warrant then is signed by a judge. It's addressed to a person to be searched or to a person who owns the premises to be searched. And it also uh, states uh, Again, there's that the judge has found probable cause that certain evidence may, will be found there. The search warrant will identify the judge, the court that issued it. And then one of the things that's very key is the specific premises that are allowed to be searched, as well as there's also always a time period, a time limit on the search warrant. So it can't be issued on January 1st, and then someone tries to enforce it on July 1st. What ICE agents normally do, though, is they don't use criminal search warrants. And the reason for that is they're very time-consuming. Mm -hmm. You have to go to a court. You've got to present evidence. You've got to wait for the judge to, uh, to have the hearing, to weigh your evidence. It, 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 it's very time-consuming. Um, ICE agents, you know, like many people, they, they want to... They want to move forward. They don't want to have to just go through the labyrinth. So what they'll do is they'll um, they'll issue administrative warrants. So a supervisor at ICE uh, can be authorized to sign a piece of paper that's called an administrative warrant, and that will authorize a designated ICE agent to take an individual into custody and and possibly subject that person to deportation. So these administrative warrants are actually a civil remedy, not a criminal authorization to arrest an individual. Mm -hmm. And because they're a civil, it's a civil action, unlike a criminal search warrant, the administrative warrant doesn't authorize ICE agents to enter into non-public areas of a, of a company's facilities without consent from whoever owns that facility or whoever uh, running the facility has the authority from the company owner to uh, let individuals onto the premises. Mm -hmm. But because people see the, the jackets or the uh, bulletproof vests that say ICE police, uh, many times people are 
are handed an administrative warrant and they think, oh, well, um, I really have no rights. The people on the premises where I work have no rights. ICE agents can just do what they want to do, just like any kind of police drama that you might see on TV. Mm -hmm. So if I were, um, let's say I owned a restaurant, um, and all of a sudden I see ICE pull up out front, and they start coming towards my premises. How far, I mean, could they legally come in? And how far in, I mean, could they go back to my kitchen, my back room? I mean, how far do, do they have the right to come in, I suppose I should say? Well, without a criminal search warrant, they only have the right to be in um, public areas. So uh, most companies have, um, have, have a receptionist area, mm -hmm. that would be an area that they would be entitled to because it's a public area. Um, so uh, without a criminal search warrant, they're not entitled to um, search the search non-public areas of your your business, whether it's a, it's a restaurant, it's a, a YMCA, um, it's a, they go to a, a farm or a manufacturing facility, so there usually are some areas that are designated to greet uh, customers or business people. Mm -hmm. if, if it's a public area, they're entitled to be there. Um, but without a criminal search warrant, they're not entitled to non-public areas. And that's why the most important thing for a business owner or someone who works for a business owner to know is when the ICE agents come is to, to ask them for the documentation that they've got. Um, that would that they're asserting gives them the right to search or to arrest an individual. So let's talk a little bit more about consent then. So they have the warrant; they're in a public space. Now, can you talk a little bit about consent of the individual? Uh, you know, representing the premises. First thing I consult my clients to do is is if uh, ICE agent shows up with a warrant to have a have, take a picture of that warrant so some or scan and email it so even if it's if scanning and emailing isn't um, uh, you don't have time for that take a picture of it text it to your legal counsel so they can examine what kind of warrant it is is it a criminal warrant is it an administrative warrant um, if it's a criminal warrant what does it um, authorize the ICE agent to do um, does it Authorize the ICE agent to search the premises. What premises does it allow them to search? Um, is it timely? And then the other issue is just because someone shows up in, a, in, in uh, police vehicles and police ICE agent jackets, are they really ICE agents? Mm. Uh, you don't want to make an assumption that these aren't you know rogue individuals. So I advise my clients to ask for ID, ask for business cards. Um, and uh, to, you know, to make sure you're actually talking to somebody who is who they represent them to be. And um, one thing you should try to do is, um, is escort ICE agents to a predetermined room. You want that to be near a lobby or as close to an exit as possible. Uh, if, you, you know, if you lead them through your entire manufacturing facility or your restaurant or, your, uh, or other parts of your business, uh, essentially, you've consented to allow them to conduct an arrest if they happen to see the individual or individuals that they're trying to arrest. Mm 
So uh, you want to have a protocol in place uh, when this sort of situation happens, and then you, you want to get legal counsel as soon as you possibly can. Because ICE agents will often have administrative warrants that don't allow them to do anything more than detain and arrest an individual. They don't provide, they don't give them authority to search the premises under the Fourth Amendment. That's a, that's a vital protection, mm-hmm. um, search and seizure. Uh, ICE agents will often um, try to get consent uh, from the individuals who are either operating the facility or represent themselves as agents of the company to often ask for consent to search the premises. And I always advise my clients not to give them consent, in fact, to try not to talk to them as much as possible because uh, they literally will play good cop, bad cop to try to get you to consent to search the premises. Again, because they don't have often a criminal search warrant because it's just easier to, to have their supervisor sign a piece of paper the administrative warrant that allows them to arrest someone. Hmm. Okay. So speaking of consent and warrants, I think we're getting at um, one core aspect, which is really the right of the individual. I know we've talked a little bit about ICE, so let's let's move that over to the the rights of the individuals involved with an ICE uh, inspection, essentially. <laughs> um, what are their rights? Sure. Well, it, it all depends upon what the warrant says. So um, a criminal search warrant will um, either state that they have the right to arrest a particular individual or search their premises to arrest a particular individual. Uh, the administrative warrant will be subject to, again, it's a civil action. It merely says that ICE can uh, detain and arrest a particular individual. So um, it if the if the warrant is proper, uh, the individual who is subject to that warrant really doesn't have any rights other than to accompany the ICE agents um, to their their facility and ask them questions. It does give them the, the ICE agents the right to detain that individual and ask them questions. And ICE agents, for some reason, will think that individual an individual or individuals are in the prem on. Uh, are in this country illegally, it's it's then going to be a contest of evidence as to whether the individual does have the right to be through a visa or through citizenship. They have the right to be present in the country and, and work in the country. So I think one of the interesting things about this is kind of what to do when they're on your doorstep. But could you talk a little bit about the process prior to them pulling up outside? What what's the process on their side that leads up to that leads up to that initial um, interaction with the with the business the organization? Well, sure. So the ICE agents can get leads from um, a number of different uh, a number of different ways uh, that uh, which lead them to believe that an individual is uh, working in the country and is present illegally. One of the things that um, has increased under the Trump administration versus the Obama administration is now government agencies are talking and cooperating with each other. So many have, um, many different government agencies have memorandums of understanding with each other, such as uh, for the 
one part of the agency, ICE, an ICE, uh, if a, let's say the Department of Labor is conducting a wage and hour audit, they may share that audit um, with uh, with ICE, uh, and or one section of ICE might be uh, conducting an E-Verify audit, and they'll share that information with enforcement agents. So. Uh, ICE agents can get a lot of tips from a lot of different ways, whether they're from I-9 audits or they're from uh, information that they receive from other government agencies. Usually the ICE agents have a sense about where immigrant labor is is working, and that, again, usually the service industry or manufacturing industry. There's heavy activity in the Midwest because of manufacturing facilities and agriculture. So that's why you see more worksite actions in, in those particular industries and in particular um, areas where there is intense farming or, or, or manufacturing, and the manufacturers require uh, labor that uh, doesn't require a high level of education or sophistication. So we know a little bit about the pre-investigation by ICE. Can you talk a little bit about the fallout from the investigation if they find that you knowingly or unknowingly had um, an illegal individual working on your premises? What happens? Well, sure. This is a, just as I mentioned before, the um, owners of, of facilities could be subject to criminal prosecutions, felonies, misdemeanors, um, imprisonment, fines, forfeitures. Uh, there could be administrative sanctions, which are in the form of fines for either hiring individuals who uh, the owners or managers uh, knew were illegal immigrants or should have known they were illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. There's the paperwork violations that relate to the I-9 forms. Uh, and then if you were a federal contractor, you could be subject to barment. So that means you're prohibited from bidding, fulfilling, or working on federal contracts for one to three years. So there's a range of, of sanctions that the government uh, will enforce based upon the severity of the action and uh, in the past conduct of the individual or company that is operating the facility or, or farm. Hmm. And, and what about if the, nothing is found? I mean, is it just one of those situations where it's like, oh, sorry, our bad, uh, you're good, and then they walk out and it's, it's all over? Yeah, well, there's no there's no uh, uh, there's no recourse for um, for individuals who are you know companies that are subject to enforcement actions. It may be that um, that ICE agents, I mean, they will show up with an administrative or criminal warrant, and they may not find the individuals that they're they're searching for. Um, so one of the things that that I did want to mention is that we did discuss about not giving. ICE consent to search a facility, um, but the other thing is you don't want to put yourself or your employees in harm's way. So if ICE agents ignore uh, your uh, protestations to search the facility or ignore your protocol of uh, getting permission from legal counsel to search the facility, you don't want to stop or block ICE agents from searching the facility. Uh, at the same time, you also don't want to volunteer any information regarding the whereabouts of any any employees or other individuals who are subject to um, the, uh, the the warrant that uh, 
ICE agents are seeking to enforce. The, yeah, ICE agents have guns, and, um, and you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to hinder their uh, proper search warrant in, in any way. Sure. That's what I want to hide any individual or, um, or or assist any individual in leaving the premises. That will particularly put you in the crosshairs of an enforcement action. It sounds like a lot of this has to do, especially with the unknowing part of hiring an individual who um, has a, you know, non-legal status in America. Um, it sounds like that it's kind of about hiring practices. What are what are some kind of basics for not getting yourself into this type of hot water in the first place? Well, really, it, it, it comes down to... Um, being cognizant of your obligations to, to complete the I-9 form and, and to do it accurately and um, to act in good faith. Uh, as I said, um, if there, 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 are, there are ways to uh, increase your efficiency in verifying the information and, and completing the forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all kinds of uh, software programs that will help you just to complete the form. Because it's three pages and there's a lot of different places where you can make mistakes, I'd suggest the companies uh, utilize these software programs that will help you not only complete the forms, uh, make sure you check your, every box that's necessary is complete, but that, uh, uh, that you're, you're getting the proper documentation and to establish that the person either is a citizen of the United States uh, um, is a non-citizen, but um, has otherwise has permission to work in the country. Perhaps they um, have an H-2B visa that's been issued by the government, mm-hmm. or that the individual is um, a lawful permanent uh, resident. Um, all those individuals are going to have a particular number that's been issued by uh, the government. So that number is something that uh, you, you want to hope that that's an accurate one. So there, the, the form really tells you what you need, what information you need in order to provide for the proper verification that the individual is eligible to uh, be employed. And so filling out the form and, and getting uh, legal counsel if you're unsure about answering questions is the key to uh, having an, uh, an effective system to avoid uh, these kinds of problems, or if you do get an audit, to um, be able to uh, answer it and have confidence that your answers are going to be uh, reliable and complete. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining me today. That was incredibly enlightening, so thank you. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to find out more about IICLE, its programs, or publications, please visit IICLE.com.